Okay, everyone. It's Monday morning, day after a very interesting week three Sunday in the NFL and culminating with the very big game tonight between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens. Wiz, how are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Uh, It should be a a big game tonight. So, yeah, we'll talk about some of the stuff that took place uh, um, yesterday and the game tonight and talk about anything we like from a betting perspective, players, props, point spreads, fantasy guys tonight. So we'll... uh, We'll get into uh, all of that. Um, it wasn't, I guess, as brutal as an injury week as week two, and that and that would probably be tough to equal anyhow. There was so much uh, carnage done in week two, but you know there was some injuries, some some key injuries uh, as well. Um, you know, so uh, I don't know. What, what stood out to you in terms of the injuries? Anything that's going to be uh, a major thing going forward? I, I saw that. The Tariq Cohen one that looked that looked awful. That um, I would be shocked. I mean, I didn't see anything official yet, but I'd be surprised if that was not a season ender for Cohen. Yeah, that doesn't look good. Uh, it seems like every week things get worse for the Broncos. You know, they've lost key defenders already. Uh, the uh, Jarrell Casey, who they brought over from the Titans uh, this year, he's out for the year. So that's a team that's just keep, you know injuries just keep piling up there. Chris Carson looks to have gotten around some severe uh, knee stuff, which is good. The only questionable thing I think going on right now is is an MRI on, on Chris Godwin's hamstring. So I think that's the thing that maybe the thing that will keep people looking out for most. But yeah, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Cohen does not look good. Um, and, and other than, uh, than Dan Quinn, I'm not sure there's anybody who's hurting more uh, in the NFL right now because um, that situation is like nothing I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I know, like, the popular thing is that Dan Quinn should be fired and, and all of that, but, you know, I agree that at some point it becomes an issue of you just have to make a change at some point, uh, even if it's for the sake of making a change. It just seems like, you know, you know, the team's not going anywhere, but I'm not sure how, you know, this could, you know, what happened with the you know the onside kick and you know that's really the special teams and the players looking at the balls and spinning and then the game yesterday I mean I know you had the the Falcons as one of your picks and it's funny I think you went with the four games you gave out you may have gone three and one and that that certainly that was the loss (laughs) that I was I mean you won some game. I mean, this is uh, the games you gave out yesterday is typical of, of, of sports betting, right? You have got to have a strong stomach because just like in anything else, fantasy, gambling on games, prop bets, you are going to win games you really and right, rightfully should lose, and you're going to lose bets and games that you should win. And I think that happened to you yesterday where maybe you got a little lucky here or there. And then the game with the Falcons was the one game that you should have had in the bag um, and lost the heartbreak. But I, you know, I, I, I watched the replay of that game um, and there was a lot of things that had to go wrong once again for the Falcons to lose that game. But from a fantasy perspective, Trubisky out, Nick Foles in announced today that Nick Foles is going to be the starter going forward. Um, it should have been the case. And, uh, should have, should have been the case from the beginning. Honestly, I mean, just Mr. Mr. We'll you know, we'll, we'll get to all of that. Uh, we'll get to that all you know later in the week. But I, and I want to talk to you about some football stuff that's not really related to um, the games or the point spread or DraftKings or who we like tonight. You know, separate from that, I want I wanted to ask you about. A couple of things. One is I've seen on your, you know, you promote the podcast, and I definitely appreciate that on your TikTok videos. But I've noticed that you've dedicated two or three of your TikTok videos where you're kind of like imploring Roger Goodell to get fans in attendance, and you feel like you know it should be done. An important thing. You even have gone to the point where you said like it's 
being politicized in, in some way, that's the, that's a problem. So, I, I, you know, look, we agree on a lot of players and, the, and our philosophies when it comes to fantasy and all of that stuff. But sometimes, um, you know, there are points that we just, you know, we don't see eye to eye. And I think this is one of them. But I'm always interested in your point of view and other people's point of view when they have a, uh, you know, a, a different point of view than me and what makes them feel this way. So I, I'd love for you, I've not asked you about this before. So tell me what the thinking is about having fans in attendance this season for the NFL games, why you think it's important, and also in what way do you feel it's being politicized? Well, it is being politicized in that we see the, you know, the divide in this country, obviously, depending on the states that you're in. So the states where they're allowing fans in are, are traditionally, quote-unquote, red states, if you will, and the blue states are basically said automatically no fans in the stadium. So it's just the politicization of the whole virus, right? And look, these are 75 to 90,000 seat stadiums where I'm not saying that you have to pack 80,000 people into a stadium. But why are six teams able to put somewhere between, I don't know, five and 15, 20,000? And then there's another 20, 26 teams that don't have teams in the stadium. It doesn't make any sense to me. I think they're they're big enough and vast enough stadiums to to do it safely and to plan out. We know this for a fact, by the way. We talked about this on this podcast. The Dolphins articulated a plan about this going back into May and June. They were looking at this, and I don't understand how there wasn't a league wide memorandum that kind of went around because I, I do think it's crazy for some teams to have some fans in the stadiums. And who's controlling the decibel knob on, on how loud the, the noise should go? They just they, they just got an increase this past week to go from seventy to eighty. I just find that just ridiculous how some some states are able to enable it and some are not. So I just think there's there's some competitive aspects to this that I just do not understand. And I think in a seventy to eighty thousand seat stadium to put ten thousand people safely spread out doesn't seem like a huge task, especially when. A few teams went really out of the way to plan on how to do so. So I, I think with all of these things, is is risk reward? I mean, what, what's the risk of it? What's the reward of it? So let's say you're the owner of a team. Let's say your beloved Giants said, "This year, you know, we're taking a break from owning the Giants. Can't watch it anymore. We're going to hand you over the ownership for one year." So you make the decision, even though, you know, you're in the Northeast and whatever, you know, blue states, red states, all that nonsense, whatever, you make the determination you want to have fans in the attendance. So in a 60,000, well, let's just use a 50 or 60,000 stadium capacity, how many fans would you allow in attendance? I would allow something around 10% of, of, the, of the fan capacity. Okay. Now here's my follow-up question to that. So let's say that comes to, you know, 5,000, 6,000 people, 8,000 people. Yeah, we could we could debate the number. It doesn't really it doesn't really matter. But let's say it's one of those numbers. How are you as owner deciding which 5,000 people come to the game? Is I think it, I think the first thing I holders? I think the is first it? yeah, see season season I would I would open it up to season ticket holders first and and obviously if there was overwhelming demand it would have to go through some kind of lottery process. But it would certainly be give, be afforded to the season ticket holders first. Yeah, I think I think I yeah, I mean I understand what you're saying about it like I, I just don't see like what the what the difference is of whether they're going to have no people in attendance or five thousand people. The NFL is fighting for their lives here, right? I mean, the NFL is doing a this is a, a mammoth Hercul job. Herculean, no question. I mean, what they're doing here with these tests and and everything they're going through. I mean, they are fighting every single day for their lives. They're finding coaches and facilities. And then, you know, to add this, I, I just, 
don't necessarily agree with the analysis because number one, I don't think it, it makes that much of a difference whether in a 60,000 seat capacity arena that there's 5,000 people there. Two, I don't necessarily think the process would be fair, ticket holder. I mean, I think, you know, a case could be made for disabled people, veterans, parents that have young children. I mean, I think you could make a case for a, a variety of, of, of groups of how you do it. I'm not sure the process would, would necessarily be fair or, or make people happy. And then you have the, the risk process as well. I mean, I just think that it's not a one-size-fits-all. And, uh, you know, I, I think the NFL, what they're doing, fighting to keep the product going with all of these tests and how they're going about it is really the issue here. And once you start, like, adding layers to it, um, you know, I, I think then you could – asking for trouble but six and but six teams wait but six teams allowed five or six thousand people to a game but six teams I have that ability to do that, that. Or, but why can six teams do that and the other 26 can't because it, it, i don't believe this is a one size fits all i mean if you're if you're in an area where covid is not prevalent which by the way is the northeast where we where we live it's not prevalent no, I think I, I think I think you're you're looking at this thing in September. We're we're headed to October and November. The up there's there's an uptick. There's a there's a startling uptick that's coming in the Northeast already. And with the fear of what's going to happen as flu season comes around and gets colder. So are you saying like come now in September and or, or are you saying? Just now, are you saying like continuing going October, November? It should be a moving. It should be a moving target. So we have had a very low incidence in the Northeast for a significant period of time. Obviously, if things were to change, then conditions change. Now, now I expect the. You know, you mentioned people are going to start to move indoors. We have kids in some places that are in schools. the Jewish holidays just passed, which means people were gathering a little bit more. And I think you've, you've seen high incidents, uh, particularly in our area, uh, Lakewood, New Jersey, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, uh, post, post the uh, Yom Kippur holidays. So, you know, and, and I w- will probably be talking about the same thing when Thanksgiving and Christmas. Like, this is, this is not going on. I say the one good thing, I, and look, I have two kids in college right now, and their colleges have handled this. So far, they've handled it really, really well. Uh, and the testing and, and what's gone into it have been just amazing to me, like the NFL. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, um, I think there are ways to do it safely. I do think I do think at some point in time, especially when it comes to young people, because the hospitalization rates are still very low, granted, we don't want them spread it into community. So that's the dangerous part. But luckily, we've been in, in a situation recently where hospitalizations haven't gone crazy. Now, does that mean that's going to change could that change going forward? 100%. 100%. But I, I just think that you have to enable some people to, to have the ability to have some normalcy again. And it's a choice to have some normalcy. And I just think living, living, not being able to live the way we have in the past is, is, a, is a very humbling thing for everybody, right? You and I love to go watch games on Sunday. Uh, we're not doing that this year by choice, right? I'm not saying I would even go to a game. I would love to be sitting in a bar on a Sunday with my friends watching all the games. I just don't think it's a safe practice to do, uh, which is why I'm not doing it. I think normalcy is, is, um, it has its own, doesn't have one definition. It certainly, you know, normalcy has, it could have a million different definitions to a million different people. I think a lot of people consider normalcy that there is NFL football on Sunday as normalcy having that. Like, I, I understand the point and, you know, getting back to games and why some areas, why some not areas. I just think, like, you know, you were saying, you know, Roger Goodell, wake up. and get, I mean, the NFL is, is every single day battling for their lives to keep this product going here. And through three weeks and cross our fingers, it'll go through the whole season of that. But I, I feel like... As the season gets going further on, as we get to these winter months, as, you know, when the flu season starts becoming more prevalent, um, y- y- it could be, you know, uh, a little bit more of a, of, a, of a tricky situation for everybody. It so, could, yeah, for sure. For sure. I was just interested in what your, you know, the, the thinking was of it. And uh, by the way, 
I don't think the Giants can get Jets can get five people to come into the watch the games. We got about five thousand people. Let me say, I, I was texting with a couple of friends this morning. We said if you combine those two rosters and took the best players from the two rosters, that I don't know if they would combine for five or six wins. This this is you know I'm a Giant fan. Um, I got friends who are Jets fans, as, as you know, but this is absolutely an abominable situation for both of these franchises. Yeah, I mean, we got a, a buddy, uh, McKenna, who keeps telling us the Jets are going to win this week. The Jets are going to keep it close. I mean, does he not realize the Jets are horrendous? I mean, I don't know what's going on with this. He, he was saying that he thought that the pigeon, like these survivor pools, he thought that the, all these people that were picking the Colts were going to pay I mean, a dear not- price for that. And the sucker price, yeah, the only price they paid is that they've advanced the next week. But, um, yeah, the, the, the local teams are horrendous. And so we'll bad. talk more about that. But there's one other thing I wanted to talk about the NFL um, and just get your take on it. And this is not only an NFL issue for me, but this is a college football issue as well. And I don't understand, I don't understand why nobody really talks about this or why stadiums have not done anything about this when i watch these games i feel the back wall to these end zones the camera crew the camera equipment carts they are too close to the field and when i watch these games i am amazed like adam Thielen, in my opinion the season was lost to him last year. We caught that touch on the end, and I believe he pulled up because out of the corner of his eye, he realized how close he was to that wall, and he is he pulled a terrible hamstring injury. He was basically done for the year. And I'm not saying that's a lot of the injuries this year, but I don't understand why, like, these camera crews, equipment, back wall, and carts. In that Raiders-Sing game, the Raiders lost not only not only did they almost lose one defensive back, they almost lost Damon Arquette and Jonathan Abram on the same play on the same cart, which was I watched the play again a few times, and that cart was only about seven yards out of bounds. And Abram like landed into it and he you know, he, he was down for a while and Damon Arnett missed his head hitting the edge of that cart by such a small amount, I don't even know what kind of catastrophic injury would that have been. But wh- why are these equipments and carts and, and, and back walls, why are they so close to either the end zone or the field of play? I mean, I've seen players get hurt with this time and time again. I've seen it either directly or indirectly be the cause of injuries or players pull up or actually land into the back wall or the cart or camera equipment. Why, why I mean, why don't the stadiums and owners and, and officials do something about this? So I'm wondering, well, you mentioned Thielen. That was a play from last year. Now, I, I do know that camera crews this year, because of COVID, are much smaller than they were in previous years. So the normal camera crew is is diminished in size. So I don't know if they're using uh, machinery uh, to replace people uh, as a result of it. I don't know. But it is ridiculous to have it so close to the field. That play on Monday night was really scary with the Raiders. Absolutely. What on earth is that caught doing so close to the sidelines? Like, you know, there are plays, you know, it was the play where it was at the goal line and Kamara got shoved out of bounds and two Raiders were in. I mean, that, that play could have knocked out three players, seriously. Not Maybe that's the uh, old uh, Booger McFarlane uh, vehicle. I have no idea. You know, when, when Booger yeah. used to go up and down the sidelines, I have no idea if they still have that kind of, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know. It's strange. Stadiums and owners, and, and they, they put billions of dollars into these stadiums, for goodness sake. Move the back wall away from the, the end zone. Give these players who are running at full speed a catch of the ball. I mean, I, I still don't know. I haven't seen a game at, at uh, Detroit yet this year, but I'm assuming the back wall is still that close. So, I, I don't know. I, I watch college football, and I watch pro football, and I just feel... Those back walls to the end zone and camera equipment and crews and all sorts of equipment are too close to the sidelines. And, yeah, I just think if it stays like that, it will be just a matter of time before, you know, a player gets hurt or a referee gets hurt or somebody gets hurt. Um, 
just never really quite understood that. And then when I watched the Monday night game, I saw two Raider defensive backs um, almost get wiped out in the same play where one was laying down and the other guy had the – he missed the – hitting his head on the end of it and had like the thing wrapped around his neck uh, from the edge of it. Uh, he was so close to it. Just – just, just strange thing. It's, it's just something that I think about, and I, I just don't understand with all the money why these walls are not further back. Especially when when your players are are running into the end zone, they usually are running at full speed. Especially the receivers to try and catch the ball, and if they catch the ball towards the back end of the end zone, they are very, very close to the wall. So I don't know. It's just something on my mind when I saw that what happened uh, in the Saints Raiders game. I, I was thinking that's just ridiculous. It really is. Yeah, no, I mean, no question about it. And there's enough problems on the field, you know. Other, I was, I couldn't believe it. And watching, I was watching a little bit of the Giant game, and I, I'm, I'm thinking the turf in, in MetLife Stadium too. Like, you know, Jordan Reed got hurt on that play. Um, boy, that's another team that's just had a lot of injuries. They don't, they don't need any more. That's for sure. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. The equipment does not need to be on top of the field. And I don't know what the answer is, but you know, someone needs to get smarter here. Yeah, I mean, when they, these, these new stadiums, whenever they build them, they've just got to move the back wall away from the end of the end zone. It's, it's just, it's just too close. But let's get, let's get to the game tonight. Uh, is it too early to say that a Monday night game in Week Three very well may be the game of the year? Um, but you know, when I'm looking at this game, I believe that unless something catastrophic happens injury-wise to either some of the one of the key players on the Chiefs or Ravens, that they're going to be the one and two seeds in the AFC. The difference is this year the playoff system has changed and only one team gets a bye and the other six teams play the first weekend. So instead of two teams having a bye, one team is having a bye. So the winner of this game, in theory, will have a one and a half game on the advantage on the other team because the winner, if they end up in a tie or have the same record as the other team, they'll have the they will win a tiebreaker. So is it too early to say this is the game of the year, maybe not only certainly through three weeks? I think it's a, I think it's it's pivotal in terms of positioning, right? The win, the winner of this game will have a distinct advantage. Uh, you know, at the end of the year, should the two teams be tied uh, as the as the tiebreaker for sure? So, so it's a big game, and and yeah, it's it's the it's the two best teams in in in, in the National Football League, and definitely the two best teams in the AFC. Um, so yeah, and, and it can go either way. I think um, right now the Ravens are favored by three and a half points. Um, I don't have a strong view on the game actually, but I I do think. You know, I'll be curious to see the ratings on this game, too. I know there's been a lot of noise made, made about ratings, uh, sports ratings, but tonight there's not a lot of competition on this one. So, to me, this this should get a heck of a lot of attention. I think some of the noise around uh, football ratings will uh, will be quieted after tonight, at least. That's my opinion. Well, who does this game mean more to? Um, you know what? I actually think – I actually still think it means more to the to Kansas City Chiefs because, you know, the Chiefs – there's always that that concern when a team wins the Super Bowl is do they have a hangover? So I think that the Chiefs probably have a little bit more to prove here. You know, the Ravens didn't win the Super Bowl. The Ravens got knocked out of the first round of the playoffs. Well, their their first round of the playoffs, the the quarterfinals in in the AFC last year. So so for me, I think I think the Chiefs want to prove that, you know what, this is still us. We know there's a target on our back. But you know what, it goes through us first. So that that's that's the way I look at this game tonight. Do you think it means? I mean, I'm not disagreeing with that. I, I, I don't really know who the game means more to. I'm thinking about it, and I could see how a case can be made either way. You know, it's always important when you're on top to see to any other contender. Like, it doesn't matter where this game is being played at. It could be played in Kansas City. It could be played in Baltimore. It could be played in Central Park. We're the better team, and we're going to win. So I could see that point for Kansas City. But then I'm just wondering, like, Kansas City with a Super Bowl championship and the way the Ravens went out last year, if the game doesn't mean a little bit more to them in the sense that they have something to prove. So I see both sides of it. I'm not sure what the answer is. I'm not sure if there is an answer who the game means more to, actually. But uh, from a betting perspective, the line's right, three and a half. I have no view on the game from 
decide or total, um, you know, I think bet under at your own risk. But both teams do have a good defense, and uh, sometimes that these games are projected, uh, it looks too easy for the over, and uh, it doesn't live up to that. So I'm not giving anything out in terms of a side or a total. Do you have um, a view on a side or a total that you would like to give out, or you're just watching this game, at least from a betting perspective, as a fan? Yeah, I'm, this is a game I'm watching as a fan. I don't have a strong view. I could see this game going either way. I think... Um, it should be interesting to see who can control the clock better. Uh, I felt that last week when you watched the Chiefs play, it was still a very sluggish offense. I felt like it wasn't clicking on all cylinders yet. So, And, you know, this is still kind of preseason in the way, the way I view it. So I'd like to see more offensively from the Chiefs uh, instead of just late in the game. I'd like to see it, you know, them come out and actually throw a punch first. Um, and, and for the and, and for the Ravens, uh, you know, it's, a, it's about using some of these young Young players that they have, I'm, I'm going to be very curious to see how those are used. You know, Hollywood, Hollywood Brown, a second-year player, um, uh, J.K. Dobbins in the backfield. I actually have a feeling that Mark Ingram is going to have a lot more to say in this particular game, and I think the control in the clock is going to be a big part of, of what Baltimore wants to do tonight. So let's run down some props um, real quick since neither of us have a view as far as the betting. And as far as my props on Sunday, I mean – I, I I mean, I really feel I should have went 2-0 and all on the two props I loved. I predicted Melvin Gordon not only wouldn't get 60 yards rushing, that he wouldn't even get 40, and he ended up with like 26, 29 rushing. And then the way I lost to Stafford won two, over 278 and a half, and he went from 270, and there were several penalties that – you know, had completions that came back, but that's that that that's gambling. You have to move on to the next game, and that's tonight. So, with that being said, let's go over these passing yards. Lamar Jackson, two fifty-five and a half. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, two ninety-two and a half. Any views? No, I think they're priced. Uh, I think they're priced correctly. I'm I'm staying away from those two lines. There's there's two player prop bets that I do like. Um, I actually think I'm I'm, I'm starting to. F- you know, if you can predict game flow and I think, you know, your ability to, to be a fantasy player, certainly injury is going to be a part of this, right? So there's an injury factor that's, that's that you have to take into consideration each and every week. We know there's a lot of guys that got knocked out of games yesterday, which, you know, decreased their, their uh, ability to kind of perform and game flow as well, right? Like one of the things I liked was Jonathan Taylor. You know, that game got away, two pick sixes. You know, he wasn't going to be on the field. So, you know, as a result of that game, and, and there was no reason to keep him on the field. So, but I have two prop bets that I do like for tonight. And as I mentioned, you know, I feel Mark Ingram will be a, a much bigger part of this game tonight. Uh, the veteran player will be leaned on a little bit more. His over-under for rushing yards is 49 and a half. I like that. I that right now at 52 and a half. Oh, it's moved. Okay, it was at 49 and a half. So very interesting. There's some action on that already. That's good to see. And the other one, uh, and I don't know if this line is moved because I looked at it earlier. Uh, Travis, Wait, did you get down on it at 49 and a half or you haven't placed a wager yet? I haven't placed a wager yet. I haven't placed a wager okay. yet. Uh, okay. Travis Kelsey has played against the Ravens three times. Uh, all three times he surpassed 73 yards or more from a receiving mm-hmm. standpoint. Uh, I yep. saw it at 69 and a half this morning, and uh, I like the over on that uh, for Travis Kelsey. So you like over Ingram at right now currently 52 and a half, and you like over Travis Kelsey. Those are your two proposition wagers you like. Yeah, that's two I'm, I'm, I'm taking a look at, yes. I, I have, I have, a, I have a, a similar but different idea as what I'm going to do as far as the proposition bets. I'm looking at touchdowns scored, and I see Ingram at plus 120 to score a touchdown, and I see J.K. Dobbins at plus 210. So he's a little bit over 2-1, to J.K. Dobbins, and, and, and Mark Ingram is basically a little bit over me for money. So my proposition is to place $100 on Ingram to score and $100 on J.K. Dobbins to score. So here how the results will be. If neither guy scores a touchdown, I will lose both bets. If if Mark Ingram scores a touchdown and J.K. Dobbins doesn't, it'll be a win 100 and lose 100. So it'll be a break-even proposition. If J.K. Dobbins scores a touchdown and Mark Ingram doesn't, then I'll make 200 on one bet and lose 100 on the other, and I'll make a $100 profit in that way. And if they both score a touchdown, then I'll make 2-1 to and even money, so I'll make 300 for my bets. And 
the way I look at this, and usually I don't like to put guys as like a coupled entry in, in these proposition wagers, but I am hard-pressed to believe that neither of those two players are going to get a rushing touchdown. It doesn't matter who the Ravens play. They always find themselves in these inside the five, goal to go. And I just notice when they get down there, deep inside you know, the red zone, inside the 10, inside the five, that's when Lamar Jackson really prefers and the Ravens prefer to hand it off to the running back. I think like, you know, in between the 20s is when Lamar Jackson takes off and runs, either design runs or, or just plays where he breaks out. But when they get down there, I think they like to hand it off. And I, I just hard-pressed to see how this game is going to go without either one of those running backs scoring a rushing touchdown. So that's my idea for the game tonight. Yeah, interesting. I think, you know, look, I've only started really looking. I'm, I'm fortunate that I'm in a state where you can place bets like that. I, and, I, and my personal view is that we're going to see a lot more states where you'll be able to do this uh, in the coming couple of years. And that's why there's been such interest in a lot of these gambling stocks. But there's only five or six states that you could do this in right now. And I feel that there's a real inefficiency in some of these lines. So I'm really going to take a much closer look each and every week at these player prop bets. And, and you, you and I have started to talk about that with, with more interest. I actually did a parlay with, with one of your suggestions and two of my suggestions uh, from, from the other day um, and ended up hitting on that, which was nice. It was Allen Robinson, who was at 65 and a half, which, by the way, moved to 72 and a half. Um, before the actually that night when AJ Terrell was uh, was announced as having uh, positive for COVID, that line had moved to seventy two and a half, which was quite interesting. But uh, which is a very big jump. I think you could take advantage. Uh, I mean, I think if you're clever and if you're on top of this stuff, um, you could kind of take advantage of it. I mean, as we mentioned yesterday, we're going to get a lot more into this as it gets later in the week, but. Yeah, you knew how adamant I was on, on Tom. Tom Brady was one and a half touchdowns, right? And I said... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean... Yeah, that one. What was the third part of the parlay? Uh, the third part of the parlay, so I used... Al- no, that wasn't... I didn't use... I, I did a direct bet for Tom for Tom Brady, uh, which was one and a half touchdowns uh, over under. Um, yep. uh, but the other two parts of that parlay were Allen Robinson, and I squeaked by on both. And this is the, this is the luck of, of, of gambling, right? So Jordan Aikens was 25 and a half yards receiving he got 28 and on the okay. on the very last play from scrimmage on offense for the New York football Giants Darius Slayton is sitting there with two catches for 31 yards the line's 44 and a half and Daniel Jones hits hits Slayton over the middle with uh, less than two minutes left in the game it's a 20-yard yeah. completion he fumbles the ball and that's the end of the ball game and I ended up winning on that I mean again it's 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 a it's a win loser draw thing. I was even surprised. I said when when they came back out with the football, I said Slayton's not even going to be on the field, and he happened to be out there, and he catches the last yeah, offense. That, that's all. Yeah, that's completely. Complete luck. Yeah, some of that is just pure, 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 pure luck. The one that I just felt was really a short thing was how is Melvin Gordon? They stopped Kamara for sixteen yeah. yards. Yeah, it's crazy. Three yards of carry. How on earth was Melvin Gordon going to get sixty yards rushing against Tampa Bay yesterday? Yeah, I'll tell you what too. We talk like lead pipes. I gotta start really teeing off on these propositions because when I have a strong opinion, like yeah. I feel pretty strong about some of these things. I just think it's difficult for them to get a good, you know, to be accurate with the lines. Like the points Very hard. they've been doing. A long, long time, but these prop bets, I, I think you could find some weaknesses in, in in their lines. I think. So let me. So I, I didn't discuss this one. I just happened. So I'm looking through the lines on on Sunday. To, to your point, and I come across a, you know a fan favorite of mine, Austin Eckler. They're playing against Carolina. Carolina doesn't have a great defense, in my opinion. But in my and I also viewed as, as as Herbert as we talked about here, we viewed Herbert as being positive for the offensive players on on the Chargers, and that's been the case. Look at how many targets did Keenan Allen get? Nineteen yesterday, just unbelievable. Yeah. So let me ask you this question because we didn't even talk about this one, and I don't even know if you looked at this. So combined yardage for Austin Eckler receiving and rushing. What would you thought? What would you have thought that line would have been before the game yesterday? What, what was the what was just the rushing? Do you remember what the rushing was? 
His rushing side? What, what was his rushing side? I want to say his... I guess I, I'm just asking what the rushing side was to get. But if you want me just to take a gauge on what I thought the total would be, I, I would probably say the under and over on yards and Eckler, considering Joshua Kelly, you know, was starting to get a little bit more recognition. I would say he probably made the total on rushing in the in in the 50s and the receiving maybe. In the, I'd say his total was probably between 80 and 90. Very good. Yeah, it, it, it was it was 88, um, which I thought was relatively low just because I had the my, my view was that that Eckler is still going to be in this role where he's touching the ball 15 to 20 times. And with, with Herbert in there, it's better for him in terms of catching the ball. And I'm just like looking at this saying I looked at it saying this is a slam dunk. That's that's the way I looked at it. I mean, look, you like bets for the sake of liking them, of what's going to, you know, how you think the game is going to go, but sometimes things happen that you don't expect and that helps you. Like the fact that Carolina got off to a lead and it was much more usage of Eckler than Kelly because they weren't playing ground and pound the last quarter really, really helped the bet. So, no, but that bet was over. The bet was over in the the game flow helped you anyhow. the, The game was, the bet was over in the first half. That's that's oh, my point. One in the first half. Wow, I didn't realize. I didn't realize that. That's the I thing. Didn't realize that, that. Wow, that's tremendous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's similar to the Nick Chubb thing when you know we, you just feel so strongly about something and you just don't have to sweat it out. So that was one. Yeah, I think I think you could find weaknesses. Um, By the way, I think Kamara. I think I think I think Alvin Kamara last night was similarly priced for rushing and receiving yards last night. Like again, I think it was in the 90s, I want to say. And if if we wow. if we really think about that, like no Mike Thomas. And by the way, Drew Brees, did I hear right last night he didn't complete a pass of more than 13 yards? Is that correct? I'm going to tell you something. In, I don't, I don't, I wonder how many he threw beyond 15 yards in that game. Not not many. I mean, there were times where he appeared to be gun-shy and, like, change his mind at the last minute of going deep. I mean, there was a play they had a wheel route going that um, it looked like he may have hit him down the sidelines and he just decided to check it off underneath. And checking the ball off to Kamara is never a bad thing. But, yeah, I'm not sure. I've been talking about this now since the Tampa Bay game. It doesn't look it doesn't look good to me. I mean, I, I just, I just don't know. I, and you can't attribute it all to Mike Thomas because Mike Thomas played the first game. But I'm interested to see what happens when Mike Thomas gets back. And uh, yeah, I want to see next. I do want. I agree. I want to see. I want to see next week. I want. I want to see next week. But you know, we're going to do a lot of talking about. Or, or, you know, we'll review. We're going to do the AFC. We're going to do the NFC tomorrow. I, and I know I have a lot of on my mind. You have a lot on your mind. There are some views that we had that look correct. There are some views that we had that look in question. Uh, but that's the great part of this. And and in fantasy, as we both know, you have to bob and weave. You have to you have to adjust to what yeah, you're, you're given. You, the thing is, like, yeah, you could give yourself all the accolades when you're right you want, but you can't be stubborn. And when you think, you know, you had a stronger view on something and then, you know, you think, oh, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Okay, it's time to say, yeah, maybe I was wrong about a situation or a player or players and, and, and reassess and move on from that. Yeah. You know, you just can't be so stubborn in your views and opinions and you're just not going to be right all the time and we've talked about that um, I think the that, stubbornness the to your point I just wanted to ask you one other thing about the game tonight I know we talked about prop bets but there are people who just love to play the Monday night showdown on DraftKings there are people that love playing just like you the Monday Thursday uh, that's your specialty you love the two games in basketball oh. you love the two games in football yeah, but wait a second. I got to say one thing on that. Do you realize the Thursday game this week is the Broncos and the Jets? <laughs> yeah, I do, which make which will make Thursday's podcast pretty funny, I think, to talk about that game and, and fantasy players that we like and proposition bets uh, we like as well. But for those people that are playing the showdown or the Monday-Thursday game, do you have what I like to call some sure things, and do you have any – under the radar, cheap price guys that they get in there that then they can load their lineup with kind of the guys that 
are most likely going to produce. So start with the sure thing, guys. I know you're, the history with Kelsey in this matchup is strong, so I'm assuming that you're going to put him in as one of the sure things, but have at it. Tell us who some of your sure thing guys are for the DraftKings players tonight. Yeah, look, I think you got to go with one of the two quarterbacks in the game tonight, right? <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's 100% what I see. Um, uh, I would say... My personal view on tonight is I think Marquise Brown is a sure thing tonight. And I'm going to say this on, on Thursday. You, you, you don't want me to do the Thursday one. You just won on tonight's game, right? Yeah, well, I want to give you for the people that want to put in their Monday, Thursday lineup, even though they could edit it and put the guy in you like. like give, give, give the listeners out there, you have a Thursday night special? Like yeah, I'm going to give you Chris Herndon, a tight end, is finally going to wake from his coma, and he's going to be a guy that's going to want to play next Thursday. All right. Let's, uh, we'll have to see about that. So that's your sure thing as far as that. But, like, you can't just say Lamar Jackson or, no. you know, Mahomes. Like, when you play the showdown, you got to make one guy your captain that you think is going to either really produce as a high-priced guy or kind of like an under-the-radar guy. So as far as Lamar Jackson, Mahomes, from just a fantasy perspective, which one do you prefer tonight? I have Lamar Jackson in my lineup tonight. All right, and uh, Lamar Jackson and, and Marquise Brown are your short things. And, and give, give us a one or two, like, a guy that nobody's thinking about that you think, uh, you know, could do something tonight. I want to watch the, the, the rookie, uh, Devin DuVernay. Uh, I want to see if he gets in there. He's gotten a little bit of increase in snaps from week one to week two. Um, Willie Sneed obviously has been the guy manning the slot, but I want to see if he gets a little bit more action in there tonight. I, I, you know, I, I was going to say Miles Boykin, but Boykin is starting already. Uh, Devin Duvernay is a name that not a lot of people are talking about uh, in general, and most people probably don't know who he is, but that's the guy that I'm looking to for potentially to make a little bit more noise than anybody has on their radar. Excellent stuff. So as far as my sure things are concerned, it's the obvious suspects. You know, I'm not going to give anyone out there anything uh, so so creative. I mean, but the way that I think I can help people is I'm going to give a couple of real, real sleepers out there that nobody's thinking about. And if, you know, listen, I'm not saying use them in every one of your lineups, but sprinkle them in there. And last year, even though the cow, uh, the the in the Raven Chief game, even though they had Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews in their on their roster last year, the tight end that had the best game for the Ravens, who I'm sprinkling in there, is Nick Boyle. Believe it or not, he is at a very very low price. He had his best game of the year last year and actually outplayed the other two tight ends. So Nick Boyle and and a receiver for Kansas City, Brian Pringle. Kansas City is kind of strange with how they do run their wide receiver rotation. Sometimes Nicole Hardman hardly plays. Sometimes he plays often. Sometimes you're not quite sure what the depth chart looks like. But Pat Mahomes seems to have a good rapport with Brian Pringle. So those are the two sleepers. Real cheap price, guys, I'm sprinkling in my lineups. So what I'm doing is I'm playing them, and then it allows me to use all the other suspects because like, they're both so, so low. I think both of them are under $1,000, like 800 and 400 or something like that. Um, well, I know for sure uh, Boyle is very, very low. I, I'm not sure if Pringle is that low. He is pretty low. So that's my idea. If one of those guys, or even a situation where both, I have some lineups where I have them both in there, I have a chance to um, to do something uh, tonight with the game, and uh, we'll see how it goes. And, uh, you know, would you be surprised if it wasn't a great game tonight? Would you be surprised if one team just annihilated the other tonight? I'd be surprised, yes. Yeah, I'm kind of, I, I, yeah, I mean, has, has there been a game since Pat Mahomes has started where Kansas City has just gotten annihilated? I, I can't remember a game that, I remember they've lost some rough games to the Patriots, to the Rams, um, and, and other games, of course, that they, they've lost. But has there been a game with Pat Mahomes in these last couple of years where just Kansas City is, like, sitting out their players in the fourth quarter because they just annihilated no it has not and then and last year you know you saw uh, you know when he came back from that injury this 
team struggled a little bit, if you remember, and, and obviously even in the playoffs, right? They got behind big in that playoff game against uh, the Texans, so he's had to bring him back. But in terms of getting annihilated, you know, I, to me, he's a natural leader. He, he shows that week in and week out since he's been named the starter. He carries himself well beyond his years, and, and I think that's the thing that keeps his team, you know, he never gives up, right? He, he reminds me a lot in terms of his demeanor, quite frankly, to Russell Wilson, you know, when I see Russell Wilson on the sidelines, the way he engages his teammates and stuff like that, I see a lot of similarities between him and Patrick Mahomes. And, I, and I'm not, I don't, I don't mean to put one ahead of the other, or whatever. But I just think the way they carry themselves, their maturity, really, really shows on on a, on a week out and week out basis. Uh, you know, on how they handle their teams and their teammates, and uh, it's great to see. And I think with Patrick, when you have Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> you you have a chance to win every single game. That's the way I look at it. You know, if you're the owner, um, and we'll just kind of wrap this up and get ready for tomorrow's thing where we talk about everything that happened in week three. <clears throat> you know, if you're, if you're an owner and you give all that kinds of money to a Patrick Mahomes, a Russ Wilson, and even a Dak Prescott, whether it's from Dallas or another team, you know, I just feel like how great that character is has to come into play. These are guys that you just never hear about any kind of trouble or anything they're humble guys they're great teammates they're great leaders and then when you add the quality of person that they are it just it just makes it easier and easy i guess in some situations to really pay these guys all that kind of money because you know the leader of your franchise is quality in every way and uh, you know i think that's what you're looking for yeah, absolutely. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot. I'm going to give uh, our, our, uh, our listeners a chance to uh, get excited for tomorrow's because I think we're going to be talking a lot, of, a lot of different things tomorrow. But give me the one thing when you think about what's happened so far in week three that kind of what's kind of the thing that's at the forefront in your mind about what happened in week three. And it could be a combination of what's happened in week one, two, and three. As a preview for tomorrow for people to listen to, is there, is there one particular topic that you would mention? Yeah, I think it's, you know, some of these teams that you felt were going to be major contenders to come out of their conference certainly to win their division that their season is about to say bye-bye to. And the two teams that come to mind immediately are the Vikings and Eagles. Um, you know, who's going to get in the Cowboys' way? Well, it's going to be the Eagles. The Eagles are horrendous. And Minnesota, I don't know what happened to that Purple People Eater defense over these last couple of years. They've always been one of the top five or so defenses in the league and to be taken to fantasy leagues. They, they they couldn't stop a, a high school team right now. I mean, so that's what comes to mind. It's only three weeks in, and I'm just amazed, amazing, amazed uh, how how quick some of these real contenders seem to have their seasons already slipping away only through three weeks. Is there something? How about you? Anything else that stands out? Um, yeah, I, I, I would as, say uh, this. I think a player that. You know, and a team that we were both kind of concerned with coming into the year. But, I, you know, after last night's game, you know, I, I, Aaron Rodgers seems a hell of a lot happier than I think either of us envisioned before this season started. And, and you know, another terrific effort last night. Um, you know, the Packers are 3-0 and now, and they've really surprised me, you know, greatly, as, as you, I know. And, uh, you know, and this was without Devontae Adams yesterday. And... Uh, yeah, so I'm curious to see. I, I, I said in one league where I own Aaron Rodgers, it's an auction league. Someone says $1, and I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting, and I'm watching, and I say, it's Aaron Rodgers. I'm not going to let him go for $1. And I said two only for that reason, and nobody else said a word. And I'm an, yeah. I'm an owner of Aaron Rodgers right now. When I, you know, Did I actually want the player that much? Absolutely not. But am I having confidence with potentially rolling him out there on a weekly basis? Yeah, Aaron Rodgers is in that equation now. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that the surprise is like the combination of two things, right? To see the Vikings get to, dismantled by Green Bay when Minnesota was playing at home equals the surprise of Minnesota on the bad side and Green Bay on the upside. But you had pivoted 
on Rogers about a week or two before the season. I didn't. I still had negative views. You kind of like said you kind of switched your mind on the player. So <clears throat> you you were right. I mean, at this point to to switch, I know you, you only got him in that league at a, at, at, a, at a great price of two bucks. But yeah, I mean, I did not see this coming at all. And uh, yeah, Rogers and Josh Allen are two quarterbacks that awesome. really have surprised me. But you know, on the other side, you know, I feel like I was right about Carson Wentz. Yep. So you know, these things are always hit and miss, and uh, you have to be able to pivot. And uh, yeah, there's there's a, there's a lot of things. But I think you know, tomorrow when we really talk about where we are with the stuff in week three, and then be able to recap what takes place tonight, I think will be. Uh, be a lot of fun. I'm gonna, yeah, and it is. I'm gonna finish with one last thought. You know, you mentioned the playoff structure, and this year being seven teams making the playoffs, one team's getting the bye. There is a distinct possibility, and you're talking about the NFC, about two teams in particular, like the Eagles and the Vikings, who right now look like they're playing for draft picks next year. There is a distinct possibility as we sit here today that the entire NFC West makes the playoffs. Now, I know it was a bad loss yesterday for Arizona, but you could see a situation where all four teams in a division make the playoffs. And in the NFC, that is looking like a distinct possibility. Yeah, especially when you have, like, two divisions like the NFC East, where you're pretty sure that it's just going to be the division winner making the playoffs. So that eliminates three teams right off the bat. And uh, there are other teams that are struggling. So, yeah, you could see a situation where all four teams – finish at, you know, eight and eight or above, or, you know, the worst record is nine and seven, you know, it, it definitely that, that could happen. And uh, yeah, I remember talking about that division and kind of liking all the teams. I remember saying, I don't like San Francisco to win the division, but I couldn't tell you who was going to win the division. because. I liked all of those teams and I saw upside for all of those teams. And uh, I just kind of had a negative view against the 49ers, but yeah, I think to your point, you very well may see that happen. That would be, that would be absolutely wild for all four teams made the playoffs, but it could. All righty. So this was a good one. A good conversation. You know, Wiz and I don't talk about things beforehand. So all this stuff was kind of uh, refreshing. I mean, and- we, yeah. And I mean, to, to your point about that, when we started this thing, when we started what we wanted to do, we said that we are going to do this like we're just having a typical conversation uh, on any other day or on a Monday following the season, and that's what we do. We just get on here, and I don't talk to you what I'm going to you know, talk. You know, we don't discuss it. It's not rehearsed. It's not scripted. We don't talk about anything, and that's, I think, it comes across, and uh, the people that have listened to it, I think, enjoy it for that reason, and uh, we try and stay on topic, but we, you know, it, it's not rehearsed, and we don't know what we're going to talk about, what we're going to ask each other, and that, that makes it fun, I think. Well... I agree, and I look very forward to talking tomorrow and excited for the game tonight. So I'll wish you well, and we'll uh, talk later. Yep, you got it.